Morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you in typical Torquay Penton weather. We had a lovely day yesterday. We were at a wedding in Hailing Island, and uh, it was entirely dependent upon the weather. And the vicar said during her initial announcements, a lot of people must have been praying because it was a cloudless sky and we had a wonderful day. Um, Unfortunately, you guys haven't been praying hard enough. (laughs) But we've got a wonderful day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Some years ago, well, many years ago, I was working in Newton Breda Baptist Church with a fellow that uh, I got to know quite well. And he was a great personal evangelist. And we were out doing various uh, events during the morning, and he stopped for fuel. And it was a day like this. And in those days, we used to have petrol pump attendants. Most of you are old enough to remember them, aren't you? And people actually used to put fuel into your car for you. And this poor fellow came out. He was wearing a sou'wester which didn't quite fit him. And he was soaked to the skin. And my friend said to him, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And he said to the fellow, said to him, if you were out here, you wouldn't be saying that. He said, I'll fill my own tank. You go into the shelter. So he did. He filled his own fuel tank. And the fellow said to him, why did you do that just for me? He said, well, I know someone who loved you enough to die for you. And the guy was shell-shocked. But there's always an opportunity for witness. Mm. And I owe a great deal to that dear fellow and the, the way he worked. I'm going to read the opening part of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. 
Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. One of the great miracles of Old Testament times. You'll have noticed there's a lot of speaking goes on here. The Lord said, and Joshua said, and so forth and so on. And it's important to listen. It's important to listen. And I was reflecting upon this. I've been enjoying this chapter for some weeks. I I commented briefly on these opening verses of chapter 3 one Sunday evening a week while ago. But you'll notice that it's set early in the morning. Early in the morning, what do you see first thing in the morning? Bleary eyes looking back at you from the mirror. And your mind saying, who on earth is that that I don't recognize in there? And, you know, we we don't always see very clearly. But one of the principles that's applied right through Joshua's leading of the people of Israel is that they are to have a clear vision of that which represents God amongst them. The Ark of the Promise, the Ark of the Covenant. We gain the phrase, the Old Testament, from this Ark of the Covenant and its enclosures, the laws of God. So you have this emphasis immediately that for these people to to recognize and to, to see where they're going, they have to have clear or fresh vision. And you'll notice, and I emphasize it to you in verse 2, After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There has to be a rallying point. There has to be a focus to our ministry and to our responses before God. I'm thinking about preaching in the near future on the the greatness of the Lord Jesus over five sessions that I have, one particular Saturday and Sunday coming up soon. And, you know, this whole question of recognizing that you and I are not called upon to follow Joshua primarily. We are called upon to follow the Lord. We don't follow our leaders. You know, we're, we haven't got people around us who are the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And there are only rats that followed them, him, you remember. But, you know, this whole question is to recognize that in our Christian living, we need to do what the Lord is saying to us, and we need to follow where the Lord is leading us. And these people were entering a, a, a whole new ball game. They were moving into warfare after 40 years in wilderness experience, of 40 years wandering without any real direction. And Joshua says to them, listen, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, then you follow it. You follow that which represents God's presence amongst you. And one of the things I'm really fearful of as I get older 
as though I get stuck. You know, we we often talk about putting on our spiritual slippers because we, we retire, don't we? And I was talking to a couple of fellas yesterday and they said to me, well, when are you going to retire? And I said, when the Lord shuts me up, you know, when the Lord stops using me or, or giving me opportunity. Because you know, what's retirement about? Is it about taking it easy and, and pleasing ourselves and, and going through the motions of our Christian living? Or is it having the the possibility of whole new fresh experiences. You know, you have two guys here who are over 60. We know that Caleb was over 80. And here they are as fresh and new and eager as they were when they first began to follow the Lord 40 years earlier. And that's the way I want to be. I don't know about you, but I want to be expectant for whatever time the Lord has left to me. And I want to follow him absolutely wholeheartedly. And I can only do that if I'm in communion with him, if I can see him. Not in the sense of the physical, but have that sense of this is something the Lord is laying before me. I was talking to a fellow at the wedding yesterday who's distantly related to me. He's married to to one of my cousins. And he has the misfortune of being an Australian. But he's a very bright guy. Really, really bright guy. He's He's a medical doctor. But he gives lectures in all sorts of areas. And he spent 20 minutes yesterday lecturing me on the mathematical universe. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard any of this. I'm not going to bore you with it today. I wasn't bored yesterday, incidentally. But he was talking about the juxtaposition of planets and the, the reality of constellations and the fact that every, mo- every movement within the universe is, is somehow or other ordered. There's no chaos in the universe. It moves according to mathematical principles. I didn't know any of this. And it's one of the lectures which he gives to various groups like Probus and, and those sort of folk who invite him regularly to, to talk to them about all sorts of things. So I said to him, you know, where does this leave us in relation to our following of the Lord? And he just said, the heavens declare the glory of God. So nothing chaotic should happen in your life if you're following the Lord. That was all he said. And I was thinking about it driving home and actually in bed last night. Nothing chaotic happens in your your life if you're following the Lord. And that's the first question this morning. Do we have a vision of the Lord, an awareness of the Lord actually leading us. You notice what the last part says at the end of verse 3. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. We all take up positions, don't we? On all sorts of issues. You know, some have one particular political party in mind as being the answer to men's problems. I'm reading a book at the minute on the early functioning of communism in communist Russia. And it is scary stuff. You may not realize that Mr. Stalin managed to kill 20 million Russians in the first six years he was in power. Because they didn't agree with him. Because he was right. Wasn't he? So we take positions... But there are times when the Lord calls us to move out. 
to go to a new place, to take a new position, to think about things that we think about perhaps for a long time and to recognize the Lord saying something fresh here. And I need to recognize that and, and apply it into my living. To move out of our positions and follow it. And excuse me if I use the phrase follow him, because obviously we're thinking about the Lord Jesus. And this was represented God's presence for the Israelites. In the Old Testament, we find through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our own lives as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever Peter was talking, you remember, to the Lord in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, the Lord said to him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, Yes. And each time the Lord emphasized a task they had for Peter to do. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Peter, your, your ministry's ongoing. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to glory. But your ministry is ongoing. And the, he goes on to say in that passage, when you're older, men will take you where you don't want to go because you've been following me. And he talks about the death that he would die and so on. And it seems to me that I tend to lose something of this freshness. I don't know how you feel this morning. I was talking to a young fellow about seven or eight months ago when I was preaching in Chichester, a student. And he said to me, sometimes I get bored with my Christianity. What? Sometimes I get bored with my Christianity. And I said, what do you do? He said, I do the same thing every day. I said, I'm not surprised you're bored. You know, the Lord will give us opportunities this week. Just say a word. Just take a step. Just help a lady to carry her heavy groceries. And she maybe ask you why you did it. You know, let, let's get real into the situations in which the Lord places it. And then you'll notice there's another line added to here. As you to move out from your positions and follow it, verse 4 begins, then you will know which way to go. God can't steer, steer something that's stopped. This is why I'm afraid of getting stuck. But as you begin to follow, then you will know which way to go. You know, the whole chapter is full of progress, taking steps with God. They're moving into a, a very strange situation, as we'll see in a moment. But you have to start going. You will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. And that's today, isn't it? We've never been here before. Well, I know you've been here last Sunday or some other day during the week. But we've never been where we're at today before. This is, this is fresh. This is new. And how can I know the way unless I'm following him? Remember that was Thomas's question to the Lord Jesus in John 14. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, well, I am the way. The truth and the life. You know, it's... It's a present continuum, a present tense experience ongoingly in the prompting of the Lord and respond to that because we have never been this way 
before. And life brings us fresh challenges and difficulties and heartaches. You know, that young couple who were married yesterday are, I was going to say, they don't know what they let themselves in for. You know what I mean? They don't know as Christians where the Lord's going to take them or what he's going to do with them. I was talking to one of the, the bride's sisters yesterday, and the Lord's taken her to Madagascar. And she's there until November. And I said to her, I actually spoke at her wedding, Bridget, and I said to her, Bridget, where are you going next? She said, I have no idea. But the Lord will show me. And I just, that freshness is lovely, isn't it? The Lord will show me, and all I have to do is follow. You've never been this way before. So each day is a unique day in our walk with the Lord. The footprints for the rest of the day have never been walked before. It's like a, a virgin snowfield. But you look back in the day and you say, well, that was interesting, that conversation I had with so-and-so, or what so-and-so said. I need to pray about that. I need to think about that. How can I help in that situation? And so forth and so on. Never been that way before. And then you have this little phrase, and I pondered this, but keep a distance. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark and do not go near it. Now it's interesting that for the Christian, we are called upon to draw near to God. Constantly that emphasis. So why here are the Israelites uh, counseled to keep a thousand yards away? Well, there are a number of reasons. I'm going to suggest one which is immediately apparent. You will notice further on in the passage that the Jordan, verse 15, the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. So I did a little bit of research, and apparently when the Jordan is in flood at this particular point in its meanderings in the southern part of Israel, it's about a mile wide right? The priests are going to go into the middle of the river. We discovered that. So they're going to be 800 yards into the river. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards. Allow the Lord to go before you and open the way. And sometimes there needs to be this space. There are other times when the Israelites are brought very close but they never get any closer than the boundaries of the tabernacle. More of that perhaps on another day. But this whole question of us following him, we need to have a clear view of where he's taking us, where he's leading us, and take a step at a time. We need to be careful never to run ahead of the Lord. Now, I made huge mistakes, still do, but he made huge mistakes in my early Christian life because I used to tell the Lord what I was going to do and then ask him to bless it. I mean, it was all backside foremost. You talk about carts before horses. You know, it's up to him. I don't lead. He leads. He is the shepherd. You know, only daft people in England and Scotland would drive sheep because sheep follow. And the eastern shepherd led his sheep. And if you had a wee lamb under your arm and the ewe began to follow the lamb, then it wasn't too long before the rest of the flock was following the ewe. Because that's what sheep do. And that's the principle which is outlined again and again. 
Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. Doesn't push me. He leads me beside still waters. And it's this element of response which just says to the Lord, well, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen today, but I'm really glad it's in your hands. A wonderful phrase of Stotts, which I mention so often. What do you do first thing in the morning? I greet the Trinity and I make myself available to him. Greet the Trinity and make myself available to him. So keep the space, because if you're tied up against the ark, you're going to get very close to the water's edge before the water opens. Keep the space. And then there's a further thing, and we'll spend a moment here, because it's not just about fresh vision and fresh steps on a new journey, but it's also about fresh or renewed dedication. And you notice what Joshua says to the, says to the people, consecrate yourselves. Now, what does the word consecrate mean? Because we tend to be afraid of these sort of phrases in Scripture. What does it mean to consecrate? At its simplest, it means to set apart from common use. To set apart from common use. So the Israelites were not to decide on the following day or that particular day that they were going to do their own thing. Joshua said to them, set yourselves apart, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Be prepared for the Lord to do among you what he chooses. Set yourself apart to his purpose. Uh, Lay aside your small ambitions. Just make yourself available to him. Set yourselves apart. Some have suggested, and I would suggest rightly, that we should do this in a regular sense. Begin the morning with a prayer. We say grace for our meals. Uh, We have this constant awareness of the presence of God. You know, you don't say grace for your meal because God's in heaven. You say grace for your meals because he's provided the food that's on the table. You know, that's... There's no distance in mind here. And and so here, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing or great things or awesome things among you. Never been this way before. And don't be surprised at what the Lord does. Don't bully him into getting him to do what you want him to do. You know, there's no hint here that the people are going to influence what God does. And if you read the prayers of the Old and New Testament, you'll discover that this business of your will be done is primarily in the, in the thinking. We, we um, said the Lord's Prayer yesterday. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And... It's immediate, isn't it? So I don't want to get stuck in my Christian life. And I don't want to become blasé, you know, make assumptions. But I want to recognize that the Lord is constant in his doing of amazing things. He does that which is awesome, because that is an awesome God. A little song we sing sometimes, don't we? Our God is an awesome God, full of awe. 
wonder, amazement, that he should act as he does towards us. Tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. We have to trust him for tomorrow. Boast not yourselves of tomorrow, the scripture says, for you know not what a day may bring forth. But the Israelites had the promise for tomorrow in the Lord. They weren't told the detail, but the Lord will do amazing things. Take up the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua says to the priests, and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Obedience is a great thing, isn't it? You know, we make our life, I make my life complicated. My Christian living, I mean. All the Lord wants me to do is to do what I'm told. I know sometimes it's not always clear what the Lord is actually saying. And frequently in my life, he has had the grace to say things to me three or four times. Because I'm really slow. But in his mercy, after three or four times, then I begin to recognize what the Lord may be saying to me. So, what's happening here? Well, there's a huge problem, and it's a mile wide. Yeah? So what's actually happening? You know, get the picture in your mind. What's between the people and the problem? Don't all shout at once. I know I ask rhetorical questions, but what's put between the people and the problem? That which represents the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant. What are you to look at? The river? No. But it's getting closer. But you don't look at the river. You look at the Lord. Put the Lord between you and the mountainous problem, and the problem will assume its correct proportion. Put the Lord between you and the mountainous problem, and the problem will assume its correct proportion, because your eye is upon him. And whatever's ahead, he knows the way, because he's taking us on that journey. And that's really hard, because sometimes we wouldn't want to go on that journey. And for each of us, the journey's always difficult. And there are always issues. And there are always things we're worried about. But most of them aren't a mile wide and deep enough to drown us. We just need to have the Lord between us and the problem. And he's always between the Israelites and the problem. You think about how he first introduced himself to them. They're being hunted by the Egyptians as they come out of Egypt. And you know the story, don't you? What happens? The Lord puts a cloud, he puts himself between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And the Egyptians can't draw near them all night. And I quote from the book of Exodus. They weren't able to find them. They knew where they were, but they weren't able to find them because the Lord had interposed himself behind them. And then when he takes them through the the Red Sea, as it's opened by the power of God, He then says to them, look, I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud by day 
and a pillar of fire by night so that you will know which way to go. And when the cloud stops, you stop. And when the cloud moves, you move. It was great, wasn't it? Illumination is one thing. There were no lights in that area we were in last night, except in the immediacy of the garden. See, when I came out into the lane, we couldn't see where we were going. Light's very important. So the Lord gives light by night, and he gives a cloud by day to give shelter from the blazing heat of the wilderness sun, because that's our God. So they had had all of this experience, but they'd never been this way before. And they had to follow the ark. And the priests had to do what they're told. And look what follows. Let me just round this off if I may. They took it up and went ahead of them, verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. In other words, the, the only reason for the prominence of the man was that God could demonstrate that God was with him. So the man wasn't important. Please don't put Joshua on a pedestal or anybody else. It's what God does and how God uses that's the significant thing. And so here, so that they may know I'm with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand the river. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't a priest. When you reach the edge, go and stand. But the river's in flood. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here. And listen to the words of the Lord your God. Fresh instruction. Fresh vision, fresh steps, fresh direction, but fresh instruction. The Lord always wants to speak. That's why he communed with our first parents in the garden. He's a a speaking God. That's why Genesis 1 begins, and God said. He's a communicating God. And here he says to uh, Joshua says this, right? Come here and listen to the words of, your, of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he'll certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and so on. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and here's the phrase, and please take this home with you today. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. You know, it's one of those phrases you can re- read and not hear. Our God is the God of all the earth. He's not some tiny God who belongs to the Romans or or belongs to the Hittites or or whatever. He's the God of all the earth. And Mr. Kim hasn't recognized this. And maybe Mr. Trump hasn't really recognized it, but it's true. He's the God of all the earth. And this Lord who is the God of all the earth, the scripture says this. I, I just love this will go into the Jordan ahead of you. You mean the Lord of all the earth is in control of the Jordan? It must mean that, must not it? He is the God who promises cold and heat, summer and winter, seed time and harvest, shall not cease while the earth remains. How can he do that? Because he's the God of all the earth. He's the God of the wee bit that we call our own for the brief period that we happen to own it, if we own it. 
And then another generation or someone else will take it on, but it still belongs to the Lord. It is always his, and you and I as Christians need to to hold that lightly. You know, we need to recognize that the living God, the, the one whom we follow, and the knowledge of whom comes from our obedience as we follow him, is the Lord of all. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. I bet you the farmers that own those, or think they own those thousand hills, think they're theirs, but they ain't, you know. And, and the whole book's full of this. One of the things I'm hoping to emphasize to my evangelist friends, and pray for me, please, on Saturday week, if you would. I'm responsible for the Bible studies for the um, evangelists in Bristol, South West and South Wales evangelists. I really, really value your prayers. Um, and I want to talk to them about the, the, the greatness and immediacy of the Christ that we preach you know, because I think his majesty and his glory uh, becomes less somehow uh, as we become, I was going to say, used to talking about his greatness. And I want to pause a minute with those men and say, look, we need to get back to these first principles and recognize that this God is God and there ain't no other. And we need to preach it and, 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 and teach it. I go before you into the Jordan. And you choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Now, there's something really interesting here. These 12 men aren't told why they're being chosen. That comes later in the story. We'll be looking at that this evening. But God makes prior preparation. And he says to Joshua, you choose out 12 men, from a, one from each of the tribes. And as soon as the priests that carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its water slowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Never happened before. What a way to dam a river. Put a box into it with priests carrying it. Because this is, this is God. And God forgive us that so often we don't recognize his abilities. We don't recognize that he does what he does. Roy, if I might refer to you and Judith just very briefly, and I'm sorry to do this, but a wee while ago, Roy always gives me bits of paper with things written on them. And he gave me a bit of paper which talked about time. You know, I was talking about this mathematical universe. We touched on this briefly yesterday, Rob and I. There was a time when the, st- the sun stood still in the heavens. Yeah? And you think, well, that can't happen. Because the earth goes around the sun and the sun doesn't go around the earth, does it? in our modern scientific terms. So the NASA scientists decide they're going to land a probe on the moon prior to the moon landings which were to follow. And they do some calculations and they discover to their horror that there's a day or 12 hours missing from the universe's timetable. Now there are other details. You remember that for Hezekiah, the the sun went back in its tracks. Anyway, add all up the bits and pieces, and you discover that the bits and pieces, when they're added up, suddenly give to these NASA scientists the reality of God doing what God did. Skeptical men of science look at us, it couldn't possibly happen. NASA scientists discover that they're going to miss the moon by a day and a half if they don't do their sums right. This is our God. 
You choose 12 men. I'm not going to tell them what you're going to do. But you have them ready because I've got a task for them. I've got a task for them. And there are things that are going to have to be done as a result of the river being dried up because people are not going to believe it. So I come back tonight and we'll see what happens with the 12 men as the waters stop and they pile up in a heap and the river stops flowing. And the people cross over, as emphasized twice, they cross over on dry ground. Because the Lord makes the way ahead. And they're going into a whole new experience. They're going to find God to be real in battle. They're going to find him to be real in the presentation of harvest. They're going to find him to be real in such a way that Jacob's prophecy of where the tribes would live when they came into the land of Canaan was fulfilled to the letter, even though the tribes drew lots to discover where they were going to live. But God had prophesied to Jacob five generations, more than that, 15 generations earlier, where the Israelites were going to live in their various tribes. I just love this book. And I love the God it reveals. And I want to walk closely with him for the rest of my life. Don't you? Today? Tomorrow? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these fresh and new things that happened to the Israelites on this particular day and in these significant events. We thank you, Father, that you are the one who parted the Red Sea and he caused the waters of the Jordan to pile up in the time of harvest. And we haven't got a clue how you did it, Lord, but we praise you that by the use of your power and involvement with these people, you brought them into the land that you have promised to give them. And we want to walk with you into the land that you give us, Father. We want to to take steps with you that are responsive steps. And as you prompt us just to, to I was going to say take a risk, but be prepared just to, to, to walk with you into the future, whatever the future may hold. We recognize you're in control of our living and you're in control of our dying. And we praise you for that and ask that you'll help us to trust you, even though the journey may be difficult and the understepping of the river's bed might be rough. We ask you to help us to appreciate that you're with us every step of the way. So we commit ourselves to you this morning with glad hearts, with joy in our hearts, that you are who you are, and you know us for what we are, and yet you love us, you love us so much. Into your hands we commit our spirits. In Jesus' name. Amen.